I'm Megan Bob, and I'm here to understand the mysteries of wrestling. And I'm Miles, and I'm here to help with the aid of my favorite wrestling show. This is The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast for would-be wrestling fans who don't know where to start. And current wrestling fans who want to relive the magic of that first time. This week... We're discussing the NXT episode that originally aired on July 3rd, 2013. And in this episode, friendship! Or maybe not, but probably. (laughs) Welcome to episode 7 of The Next Wrestling Fan, a podcast of fights and feels. Last episode, Lucas Brown was here, and that was he fucking was. amazing. It was a delight, and I got to have two dads, and it was great. This time around, it's just us again, for now. For now. Bob's Breakdown is coming up next, along with the sight sounds and feels of pro wrestling, the wrestling term of the week, another edition of Guess the Gimmick, and, as always, the Cheap Pop Quiz. But first, Bob, it's time to go over the answers to last episode's Cheap Pop Quiz. Okay. Uh, So, here we go. What do you think? You got seven points. You feel confident? I don't remember exactly what I answered, but no, I do not feel confident (laughs) about this one. But that's okay. I'm riding high on my seven points. You know, if this just stretches the tension, so be it. Fair enough. All right, so question one last time was, so you already know that despite competing in a number one contenders match for the tag team titles on this episode, Garrett Dillon is now gone from the company. How do they write him off television on the next episode? Was it A, LaFour and Dawson come out to the ring to explain that Dillon was the weak link, which is why they lost, and they've kicked him off the team? B, LaFour and Dawson come out to the ring with Dillon's hat and jacket, then proceed to stomp on them and throw them into the crowd, non-verbally signaling his departure? C, LaFour and Dawson come to the ring to explain that they've joined the Wyatt family and sacrificed Dillon to Bray Wyatt in an unholy ritual to prove their loyalty? Or D, they don't. LaFour and Dawson come to the ring and LaFour is like, hey everyone, check out my dude Scott Dawson who has definitely never had a tag team partner. <laughs> what did I say? You said C, they've joined the Wyatt family and they sacrificed Dylan to Bray Wyatt. Look, it was a bold choice. I think Lucas said B, they come out to the ring with his hat and jacket and stomp on them. The answer was D, they don't explain it at all. Nice. And LaFort is just like, hey, it's Scott Dawson, singles wrestler. Yeah, that was pretty wild. I was not expecting that. Question number two, the winners of that number one contenders match, Graves and Ono, also do not end up wrestling for the tag titles as one of them has been temporarily taken off television. Which one and why? Was it A, Graves, because he got legitimately injured in the last match? B, Ono, because he got legitimately injured in the last match. C, Graves, because he pissed some people off backstage and is being disciplined. Or D, Ono, because he wasn't spending enough time in the gym and is being disciplined. Bob, after assessing Cassius Ono's physique, you decided the answer was D, Cassius Ono. I love his physique. I want to make that very clear. (laughs) I love and treasure it. I do not want him to ever lose that slight muffin top. Uh, because he wasn't spending enough time in the gym and is being disciplined, and you are correct! What? Yeah, Holy that shit. actually I... happened. Oh, wow. They took him off TV because he was not 
<gasps> committing enough to his workouts. Oh, I mean, I hope he stays a little bit muffety, but <laughs> okay. I mean, I'm glad I got the point. I'm just, I, this is not how I wanted to win it. I love you, Cassius Ono. Bob just said Cassius Ono. She hopes he stays a little bit muffety. And I just want to say that I sympathize with people listening to this who are screaming for me to tell her what happens with Cassius Odo oh, down the road. Oh, but dear. But I'm not gonna. Okay. I'm not gonna. I, um, I'm gonna treasure every second of muffin I get. <laughs> Question three of the cheap pop quiz last time was, next episode features the return of Cesaro to NXT television, but something has happened with him on the main roster oh. since we last saw him. Is it yep. A, he found religion and is now going around praying for people and telling everyone his tag team partner is God? B, he dropped some acid and is now a hedonistic party boy rock star who is escorted to the ring by a parade of freaky, weirdly dressed groupies. C, he took a trip to the jungle and returned with something called the Luchasaurus, who is a massive wrestler in a reptilian luchador mask whom Cesaro now rides to the ring. Or D, he got red-pilled by a group of racists who call themselves the real Americans and now wants to make America great again by getting rid of all the immigrants, despite the fact that he himself is not American. As Lucas Brown pointed out last episode, all four of these things are true things that have happened to various people in wrestling. Bob, you chose uh, C, the trip to the jungle and the Luchasaurus, which yep. is happening in wrestling right now in another oh. company, and it's delightful. But it is incorrect. As you know now from watching the episode, it's yeah. D. It is D. We're going to have words about D. We're going to have words about D. That should be the slogan for this podcast, but yes. Oh, God. Yeah, I mean that too. We are going to have words about D. But, you know, yeah. Antonio Cesaro, I expected better from you for shame. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, with that out of the way, Bob, you are now up to eight points, closing yes. in on the ten points you need to get me to read that fanfic or romance novel. Uh, so look forward to that in the coming episodes. I'll Maybe I'll try to make these a little bit harder as we go. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> but <laughs> I believe it's now time for Bob's Breakdown. We start off backstage. Bo Dallas is doing some self-promotion with Renee Young, who is tolerating it as best one can tolerate the insipid smiling of that goofus. <laughs> then suddenly, a wild Cesaro appears. Who is this fucking conservative baby boomer dad? <laughs> so I guess some things have happened since his last appearance. He's sick yep. and tired of these hashtag millennials and they're having championship belts when they should be doing unpaid internships and being unable to afford car payments. <laughs> So, so naturally, Cesaro challenges him to a championship match. Uh, Miles, I want to tag you in. Why did this championship match happen immediately when the Biggie Langston one was an arc of several episodes? Uh, it's essentially arbitrary um, mm. because it was written that way. Oh, okay. Is the reason. Sometimes your championship matches, you know, like you build up to them over the course of weeks and they involve a really like intense story. And sometimes the guy shows up to your interview and says he wants a championship match. and The champion is like, OK, sure. And then they do it. Oh. So that's basically the only reason behind it. What has happened specifically to Cesaro is that he has joined a group called the Real Americans. On the main roster in WWE, not in NXT, he is now in a tag team. The tag team is called the Real Americans. His partner is a man named Jack Swagger. 
Wow. And Jack Swagger is, I believe, actually an amateur wrestler who uh, became a pro wrestler. Uh, and so he's in The Real Americans. They have a manager named Zeb Coulter. Oof. Formerly known in wrestling as Dutch Mantel. I don't know why they changed his name to Zeb Coulter, but whatever. Yeah, that's um, a real left turn for no reason. Yeah. The best you can say about all of this. Well, there are two things. One, it was happening in 2013 and not now. Yeah. 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 And two, at least they were villains. You know what I mean? Like they yes. were they were bad guys. Way too many people for my taste did the we the people thing along yeah, with them. I had feelings about that. But we'll talk about that more later. But uh, they were nominally bad guys, which I guess is a thing that makes it marginally okay. But it's still really hard to watch in 2019. So. It, it is in the year of our Lord 2019 to be watching that. But, you know, it was a different time. Ugh. Match one is Alicia Fox against Paige. Alicia Fox enters in a blue sparkly latex thing looking like a beautiful mermaid themed dream. And then comes Paige in her custom suicide girl all black leather getup. They both costumes excellent for this one. Paige comes in and almost gets Alicia in a roll up and Alicia takes exception to that and starts taking Paige quite seriously. And then Alicia declares her own time out. She gets out of the <laughs> ring to adjust her hair. Her utter yep. self-indulgence is just, ugh, it's so good. Very common heel move in wrestling. You will you will often see the villain project to the crowd the fact that they're a villain by not wanting to get in the ring and fight and kind of taking some time to regroup outside and adjust their whatever, you know? Beautiful. So Alicia comes back in and jumps up on the top ropes in the corner, faking out Paige, causing Paige to bonk her noggin on the turnbuckle or the turnbuckle <laughs> pad. And then Alicia falls down onto Paige's back using her momentum to flip Paige. And then it just starts getting mean because Alicia stomps on Paige's fingers and yeah. they sold it well. It looked painful. And then Alicia has Paige in several holds that Paige sells with what I can only describe as perfect Victorian heroine desperation in her eyes. <laughs> Miles, there were a lot of holds in this match. Is Alicia's uh -huh. specialty getting her opponent to submit? Is that her deal? I don't think she's exactly a submission wrestler, but she is a very good, like, technician. I think Alicia Fox, and I'm going to talk a little bit more about this later uh, in Sight, Sound, Feels, but Alicia Fox is, like, really good at nice-looking holds and throws and stuff like that. She executes moves very crisply. She's not a submission wrestler in that, like, she doesn't have a signature submission move or anything like that. But I would classify her as a technical wrestler, also as someone who does not now nor ever has gotten as much success as she deserves. Then is Paige also a technical or technical? Yes. Okay, because they were kind of moving similarly and mm -hmm. pulling similar moves on one another. And I, the only thing I was able to discern from watching that was going, oh, are they both the same kind of wrestler? Did this remind you in any way of the Emma Audrey Marie match from a few episodes ago? It did a little bit, but it was less slinky. It looked like it was mm -hmm. a little bit. There was a stop and start to the movement that wasn't as sinuous as it was with Emma and Audrey Marie. So it didn't look as sexy as a result. Yeah. But in some ways, it looked a lot better because it didn't look as sexy. It looked a lot more like the moves were individual moves. Paige gets Alicia to bang her chin into the top of Paige's head, knocking her back enough to give Paige control of the match. And Paige flips her by doing her signature move, the Paige Turner. Yeah. 
And Alicia weakly waves a limb and then melts into the mat as Paige crawls on top for the pin. <laughs> I am super into the signature move name, but I really want her to level up and have a move called the Paige Master in oh. honor of the 1994 Macaulay Culkin film of that name. Listeners who are wrestling fans, tell me what you think the Page Master should be. Yes, I'm curious. But the end result of this is that Paige is going on to the finals of the Women's Championship. And now, for some reason, we get a package for RVD. Miles, who is this RVD person? Uh, I'm so glad you asked, and I'm so upset because I meant to include a question about this <laughs> in the last episode. Rob Van Dam... <laughs> I just really appreciate the silence as though how do you describe this person? There's a lot that would go into describing Rob Van Dam, and I'm not gonna do it all right now. Basics <laughs> of Rob Van Dam is that he is a very flippy, very athletic guy okay. who really loves to smoke weed. Wow. That's never been an acknowledged part of his character per se. At least not on WWE television. He came up in the 90s when a company called ECW was happening, and that's a whole other conversation. But ECW was a very edgy promotion. And, and what so, is edgier than weed? Right. So he would talk more openly about 420 and all this stuff. And it helps that he is that person in real life. Aww. And as a result... Basically, whenever he cuts a promo, he's high. At least it seems like he's high. And so he kind of has a very sleepy, kind of like Joel from Mystery Science Theater type of delivery. That's very winning to me. He's still wrestling, actually. He, uh, he's, oh, my he's, God. Yeah, he's still going. He, he said, I listened to an interview with him recently, and he said maybe he'll retire like next year. He's, he's thinking about retiring next year. But How he's old like, is this man? Rob Van Dam is going to be 49 in December. Wow, you know, the anti-inflammatory and pain-killing properties of THC and CBD are being lived out in this human experiment. Yeah, he's a really cool guy and a really fun wrestler to watch. So Okay. Right now he's doing all the stuff where he like is doing all this research into like the properties of CBD and stuff like Aww. that. So he's a neat dude. All right, match two, Andy Baker versus Connor O'Brien and his bae Rick Victor. Right. Andy Baker is already in the ring, so I'm anticipating that this liver puddlian is there to be squashed in short order. <laughs> he is. The lights go dark, and the gothy light show that heralds the ascension begins. They pose ominously glowering down at the camera in blue lighting right out of the underworld films. <laughs> Both O'Brien and Victor have dramatic costume flaps over their crotches, much <laughs> as beards are the uniform of the Wyatt family. So crotch capes are the uniform of the Ascension. <laughs> Rick Victor hunches in the corner like a strange incubus whispering sensual nothings into Connor O'Brien's ear. I don't know what he said, but clearly it was something along the lines of, if you win this match for me, baby, I'll do that thing you want. You know, <laughs> that one thing. That one thing. Needless to say, Conor O'Brien is highly motivated by this absolutely <laughs> canon sexy promise. He runs headlong into Baker, clutches him to his side, and then rolls him over himself three times with the power of his obliques alone. The match ends almost immediately after that with O'Brien pinning Baker. O'Brien doesn't let go of Baker until Rick Victor comes into the ring and stands over him like a proud vampire lover. Is there fanfic about these two? 
only two that are specifically that pairing. <laughs> and one of these fics has the tag sugar beet harvest. <laughs> what does that mean? It doesn't mean anything other than that there is sugar beet harvesting that happens in this fic. Okay. I haven't read it yet, but I did check the other tags to go, is that a weird thing that I don't know about? <laughs> no, it's not. It's just sugar beet harvesting. So it also has uh, the very popular pairing that is the bane of my existence currently because I don't know who Ambrose or Rollins are, but they are all <laughs> over the fanfics and I just can't care because I don't know who they are. So I'm like, get out of my fanfics, Seth Rollins and Dean Ambrose. You I don't will, want you here. You will get to meet them okay. uh, at some point in the not too distant future. So All don't worry about well, that. And for the Inquiring Minds, there are also fics that are threesome fics with OC insert characters. So that's oh. also an option if you ship goth husbands, as I do now. <laughs> Also, uh, Andy Baker, total jobber, doesn't even get a ring the bell this week because it's not worth it. But this is his only match. So, <laughs> well, thanks for know. coming. Yeah. Thank you for your service. <laughs> then we get more backstage with Renee. It is Adrian Neville and Corey Graves. Cassius Ono is injured and out, alas, or at least that's what they're saying. Neville and Graves are calling William Regal out. He's got to help them take on the Country Bear Jamboree that is the Wyatt family. Neville does a dramatic turn to look directly into camera, calling Mr. Regal to stand with them. I can't do the accent because it's Newcastle and that's a very difficult one. But mm. my heart just about burst from the hobbity earnestness of it. Like, <laughs> it was so close to just being like, Mr. Frodo, you have to stand with us. <laughs> Oh, so cute. All right. Match three. Sylvester LaFour introduces just Scott Dawson. Uh, just no Scott mention Dawson. of Garrett Dillon. So he's gone. Yum. And then on commentary, you can hear Tom say Sylvester LaFour told him that his pants cost 1500 euro. And there are practically air quotes around euros as though Tom does not believe that that is a form of currency. <laughs> Heard of it? Doesn't think it's real, though. And Tom, he doesn't strike me as a person who doesn't know what a euro is, but I appreciate that he was like, euros? Like, he sounds like someone who's, like, just been told what a euro is that morning. Yeah. And, like, isn't entirely sure of it, but, like, wants to seem smart. The line that Tom is writing is a fascinating one, and I am so into it. He's very earnest. Yeah, and I so appreciate that. It helps to have a straight man, and he does a great job of it. And speaking of a great job... Xavier Woods! Oh. He dances to the ring with incredible energy that made me actually scream and clap at my home, watching it by myself. Such is the power of Woods. The crowd, who knows what the fuck is up, is chanting, Woods, 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 Woods. Yeah, they're real into him. Ah, rightly so. The match starts out evenly with Dawson getting in some early hits and shoving Woods into the corner before Woods takes advantage of his placement and kicks Dawson. The ante is up whenever Woods backhands Dawson in the chest and Dawson glares at him like, what the F did you just do? Dawson is so disgusted and angry, he gets Woods out of the ring onto the apron and then Woods starts to get back in. Dawson grabs him by the hair and Woods 
lets his entire body hammock. His feet caught on the top rope, his face in Dawson's hands. It looks really distinct and incredible. I hadn't seen anybody do anything quite that back bendy before who mm. wasn't Emma or Alicia Fox. And then we get to take in this cartoonish brilliance for one second before Dawson just lets go, throws Woods head down onto the mat. And <laughs> Dawson beats on Woods, getting his fingers up his nose. So we know he's not afraid of boogers if it means winning. <laughs> Dawson gets him in a hold, but Woods pops Dawson in the chin to escape. Then that scream that sets my soul alight. <laughs> it's morphin' time! That's right. So he somersaults in to clothesline Dawson in the throat, follows it up with both feet to the face. These moves are, much to my delight, called the honor roll and lost in the woods. That's right. Miles, I've got questions about finishing and signature moves. So how do these moves acquire their names? Is it from the announcer or do the performers give them those names? Usually, I believe it is a collaboration between the wrestlers themselves and whatever creative team they're working with when they are when they are working through the character that they're going to play. And then when a wrestler um, makes their debut, part of making your debut is you tend to win your debut match with your finishing move. And then when that happens, the announcers will be like, he calls that the blah, blah, blah. You know, mm. uh, and so that's how the information is conveyed to the audience. And then, you know, sometimes wrestlers will adopt new moves and the announcers will be like, oh, look at that new one. He's he told me that was called the lightning fist or whatever. Oh, OK. So creatively, it's a collaboration between the creative team and the wrestler. Uh, but in terms of how it's given to us, it is through the mouths of the announcers. Yes. OK, because I deeply appreciate that. The majority of them are puns. Yeah. That cuts a great deal of mustard with me. It goes a long way. Boy, does it. Oh, man. Yeah. Good pun game, everybody. We get a great package of Bray Wyatt in his rocking Mm -hmm. chair looking above camera. Eric Rowan wearing a full head mask of a lamb in the background. Mm -hmm. And uh, Wyatt reminds us not to judge people. And also that the end is coming because the Eater of Worlds is on the loose. So, you know, (laughs) some mixed messages about what we should do. Where's the lie? I Yeah, he's not wrong. I just was like, oh, man, (laughs) this is a really deep message. Oh, wow. This is still very much Bray Wyatt. (laughs) I want to take a moment to say that I was treated to courtesy of my in-laws. I saw a Royal Rumble from 2012 before Bray Wyatt had his Bray Wyatt character. Was he playing Husky Harris? Yes, he was. I didn't recognize him at all because without the beard, I was like, who is this person? So Husky Harris, he was a part of the very first season of Game Show NXT. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was when he first showed up on WWE programming. I don't know what to say about Husky Harris other than that. Bray Wyatt deserved a lot better than that. And I'm glad that he's getting it now. And it made me love Bray Wyatt even more. He stuck it out through having to just be that. And like, Mm -hmm. I did not seem like he was getting a lot of control over his character at all. Because I'm like, if this is who he is now, then whatever he was doing then was like, not anything like Bray Wyatt. Unfortunately, um, a big part of game show NXT seemed to be kind of a hazing culture. Um, And so, yeah, it's one of the reasons that 
people don't really go back and watch that often. There's a whole thing that happened behind the scenes with one of the coaches of NXT who was very abusive ah. in many different ways. So that was a thing that used to be happening. And then because the on-camera product was supposed to be kind of a reality show, a lot of it would be sort of the host's kind of talking down to the contestants because they were just rookies. They were all paired with like established wrestlers. So they might talk down to their pupils. And then you'd get things like Husky Harris given as, uh, as the characters for these wrestlers. So it wasn't great. And uh, I'm glad we're not talking about it. Yeah. And I'm also very glad that Bray Wyatt got the character that he did because it is quite compelling. It is. And you know, and he's he right. rules at it. He does. So, yeah, don't judge people um, because yeah. the Eater of Worlds is going to pick you out from between his teeth like so much gristle, I guess. That's what's going to happen to you if you fat shame, guys. Yeah. And then Tom, we get a moment of Tom and William Regal. Tom asks Regal if he's going to fight the Wyatt family with Neville and Graves. Regal says, of course he is. And I'm so yep. fucking excited. Yeah. This is the most excited I have been for a match that I knew was coming. Ah! <laughs> I did get to see William Regal wrestle a little bit in that Royal Rumble as well. And he is older. Certainly that is the case. But boy, he still sold shit. And uh, that was very impressive. Match four. My pony boy. It's Mason He's back. He is. I'm so happy. Also, Enzo Amore is there, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> He's brought Cassidy. Pfft. Doesn't he fight Enzo and then fight Cassidy? Yeah. And Enzo Amore introduces Cassidy by noting that he's seven foot tall and you can't teach that. You know what? Enzo Amore is not wrong. So that it's is one, correct. one reasonable point made, which is the maximum amount of reasonable statements that Amore is permitted to make on Mike. <laughs> he calls Mason Ryan soft. Yep. And Mason Ryan looks at him like, come here and try that so I can bring my righteous hooves down upon you, kid. <laughs> uh, match starts and Ryan lays him out with a single hit. Then Amore gets on Mike to complain and then throws Cassidy at Ryan. Cassidy doesn't even get a single hit on Ryan before Ryan raises him up and slams him down onto his back for the pin. Miles, is there an attempt to get a feud started between Mason, Ryan, and Enzo Amore? I guess it's a feud. It's it's more of just like a minor kind of story thread that's happening because Mason Ryan had a match with Enzo, beat him, had a match with Cass, beat him. Mm -hmm. And then um, this match where he beat one and then the other. And this is this is going somewhere. OK, I'll say that much. All right. I'm glad it's going somewhere and not nowhere. Although if it was just Mason Ryan doing anything, I would still be interested in it. Mason Ryan. <laughs> Cooking uh, scrambled eggs. I would watch that. Yeah, me too, actually. The pan would look so tiny in his hands. <laughs> How many eggs do you think he eats? Six, <laughs> probably six eggs. He's like Gaston, but Welsh. <laughs> and less uh, rapey. Oh, geez. Yeah. I mean, the low bar that that is, Gaston. Yeah. Mason Gaston. Ryan seems so chill and easygoing. Oh, I also have a question about Enzo Amore specifically. Is he especially good at getting heat? He seems like he gets crowd investment in a big way. He's definitely good at getting people to react to him, certainly. Okay. I'll, say, I, I'll say that much for Enzo Amore. Because I noticed that I was like, yeah, kill him! 
Not just because it was Mason Ryan, but also because there's nothing you really enjoy about Enzo Amore. He's just such a hateable character. I believe Enzo Amore is very good at getting people to care about him. Okay. Unfortunately, he he can't wrestle. Yeah, Um, apparently not. No. But but he's good at the other stuff. He is missing 75% of the required (laughs) skill set. But that 25% he has on lock. So there's that, I guess. All right. Match five is the championship match. Bo Dallas versus Antonio Cesaro. Oi, Cesaro comes out with a don't tread on me flag. That didn't age well. No, it didn't. Oh, I was like, this is happening. Am I seeing this with my own eyes that are in my own face? (sighs) Well, okay. That blunder aside. The bell goes, Cesaro gets to work softening Dallas up enough to pin him on the mat with his knees. Then he gets both fingers and wrists and starts bending them in unnatural directions with this clinical indifference, which is very beautiful. Dallas struggles out just enough to get Cesaro down on the mat, which is immediately followed by Cesaro rolling Bo out between the ropes to flop uselessly outside the ring like the oily boy he is. (laughs) According to commentary, Cesaro is inspired by John Cena and Bret Hart and Tim Tebow. But <laughs> William Regal calls Tebow a Tosfa, and hearing <laughs> Regal say that added a year to my life. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Cesaro throws him back in the ring and is dominating, but Bo just keeps kicking out. Miles, is that sort of the brand of Bo Dallas, like with Biggie Langston, he just kept kicking out and getting back up, even though God knows we all want him to stay down and then subsequently piss off. Yeah, I believe it is. Yes. (laughs) Okay, fair enough. To the credit of both of the commentators, they did an amazing job of communicating the fact that the thing that makes Bo Dallas work as an entity at all is that he doesn't give up. We're like, you know what? He doesn't. We wish he did, but he doesn't. It's a continued, you know, they're trying to give him this character that is a baby face, good guy character. Mm. um, And it's it's not working. (laughs) no. Boy, was it not working. Leo Kruger appears at the top of the ramp, Mm. playing with his hair and looking with piercing blue eyes, hoping Senpai will notice him. (laughs) And I am serious whenever I say his eyes are the sparkliest thing I have seen on this show. He's got very pretty eyes. He does. I was curious if they did special lighting to get them to do that because they were, you know, that scene in Lord of the Rings with Galadriel and you can like see all the sparkles in her eyes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They did special lighting to do that. And I was like, did they do the special lighting on Kruger or is he just naturally a very sparkly man? I think it's natural just because I can't imagine. I can't imagine them like giving him special lighting to make his eyes more sparkly. Like I just right? don't think they're they're gonna invest in that. It seemed like a thing they would never do. But then I was going, how does he just so sparkly? Because it doesn't seem like a thing you would connect with him and go, yeah, naturally this South African mercenary is going to be very sparkly eyed. I never doubt Leo Kruger's commitment to sparkle motion. Oh, but I want to say I am super loving the weird role he has taken on in NXT as match foyer. <laughs> There's something about it. It's very interesting. Cesaro is comfortably in control of the match until he tries an Irish whip and Dallas is able to get some momentum. Gets enough to headlock Cesaro and walk up to the ring post. And then and it gives me great joy to say this. 
Cesaro plonks Dallas onto the top rope, so it is riding up the entirety of Dallas's ass. (laughs) Ah, so delightful. (laughs) And throughout all of this, the camera is intermittently cutting to Kruger playing with his hair and giving doe eyes to the ongoing match. Uh Uh-huh. Cesaro keeps having to pull bigger and bigger moves at one point swinging Bo around by the neck, which was so satisfying to watch. He follows up with a glorious face stomp. I swear, I am a nice person. I just can't stand <laughs> Bo Dallas. Don't judge me. You heard what Bray Wyatt said. I'm sure he'd be mad at me for judging Dallas, but I don't care. Uh, he's probably judged him too. Yeah, maybe he understands. Is his brother? Yeah, exactly, exactly. If anyone would know. If anyone would be understanding of you judging Bo Dallas, it would be Bray Wyatt. So Cesaro is about to put a finishing move on Dallas when Kruger stalks up behind Dallas. Cesaro runs at him, and then Dallas gets out of the way, and Cesaro ends up knocking heads with Kruger. This gives Dallas the moment he needs to pin Cesaro, and the match is over. Or is it? Kruger leaps into the ring and starts beating Dallas. And then Cesaro slaps the shit out of Kruger and shoves him out of the ring. And then starts fucking up Bo Dallas, including stomping on his shoulder with both feet, slipping a little and landing on Dallas's chest, which freaked me out slightly. (laughs) I was like, oh no, injuries. But I think they were both okay. Dallas starts beating back and has Cesaro in the corner, but Kruger pulls him off Cesaro, throws him down the mat, and then Cesaro and Kruger stand looking at one another across the sprawled body of Bo Dallas in one of the best meet-cute moments I have ever (laughs) seen in my entire life. And like something out of Lady and the Tramp gone wrong, they start kicking the stuffing out of Bo Dallas together. (laughs) And then who runs in to save the day? It's Sami Zayn! Yeah! He leaps onto Cesaro and between Dallas and Zayn, they get Cesaro and Kruger out of the ring. Zayn reluctantly shakes Bo Dallas' hand and uh, then he taps that championship belt, mouthing something like, that's going to be mine. Very hard to tell, but something mm. to that effect. Roll credits. Miles, yes. do you think this is a setup for a tag team match? Is this setting up additional feuds? Are Kruger and Cesaro going to kiss accidentally as they both eat the same piece of spaghetti together? I think all those things are probably true. What did you think of this episode? I watched it with my in-laws in the UK and uh, I was very tired and it was very hot while we were there. So I wasn't getting the full experience, but it was really great to get to watch it with my Irish in-laws who are super into wrestling. I watched it two more times. And each time I watched it, I feel like this is always true. The first time I watch it, I enjoy it, but I don't love it. And then the second and or mm-hmm. third time I watch it, I'm super invested, which is such a weird way for it to go. You know how you couldn't really walk into a Shakespeare play and watch it without having known the story going in? Because you're like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah. I feel like for me, wrestling is that once I know where it's going, I'm able to appreciate the journey in a way that really works for me and that I get a lot out of. And if I don't know where it's going, then I'm like, ah, a lot is happening and I'm interested in all of it, but I have no way of deciding what I should be paying attention to. I appreciate that I get to enjoy it more each time I watch it because there's some matches I've now watched four times and I enjoy them a bunch every single time. That's awesome. Have you found yourself feeling tension like in terms of like you are invested the first time through with who's going to win a match? In some matches, absolutely. 
And in mm-hmm. other matches, I'm sort of so obsessed with trying to think of what am I seeing and who do I think would win it? Because I, I really can't tell who's going to win it anyway a lot of the time. Right. right, right, right. That for me, paying attention to that aspect of it doesn't always work. Okay. But I get a lot out of the characterization that's happening. I mean, like I told you with the one with William Regal coming on and just starting to beat people up in his suit. That I screamed the first time I saw it and was so invested in it. So I think yeah. there are definitely characters who I feel that way about. And then anything Xavier Woods does is amazing. And I would watch him do just anything. Xavier Woods is pretty great. Oh, so great. Well, uh, let's talk about some other great things because it's time for the sights, sounds and feels of pro wrestling. Bob, what did your elf eyes see? But watch. But watch. But watch returns. My elf eyes saw that Alicia Fox's costume has sparkly ruffles on the butt. Mm-hmm. And I loved that because it is this high femme touch to her costume. And it's absolutely there to emphasize how femmy she is and just drive home that Alicia Fox is a lady in all caps, but that she will still come for you and destroy you. Absolutely. I love those touches on a costume. I think that's really fantastic whenever they can make sure that you get multiple aspects of the character just by what they're wearing. And Mm -hmm. then, you know, also in this edition of Butt Watch, Cesaro was wearing plain black underoos that had something on the front hip, but nothing on the butt. So very sad to see the Swiss Red Cross symbol is no more for now. Yeah, pretty not. Miles, what did your elf eyes see? I love how we're on the same page. My elf eyes also noted something about Alicia Fox. Oh, yeah. Although in this case, and I'll probably talk about this a little bit more later, uh, not to spoil anything, but a particular move, I talked earlier about Alicia Fox's crispness and like her technical ability. Mm. So there's a move that she does called a Northern Lights Suplex. And she does it better than anyone pretty much I've ever seen. So what it is is, and you may have noticed it, Bob, she and Paige were face to face. Alicia, she kind of wrapped her arms around her and then she like bridged back. Yes. And she she put Paige on her back above and behind her. Alicia's body went into a perfect bridge and that was a pinfall. The ref uh, was counting at that point. Yes. So. It was a suplex over into a bridging pin, and it was gorgeous, and I love her version of that move. You're right. That was really crisp. There was no wasted effort in that. All right, Bob. What did your Vulcaneers hear? I heard so many great things, but this one was something I really appreciated in the Tom Phillips and William Regal back and forth. Uh-huh. And so Amore was shooting off his mouth, and William Regal said, I'll say this, maybe he's not as stupid as he looks. <laughs> and he just said it with such deadpan calm. I just really love the delivery of something like that. But it, it was so undercut by the fact that you were watching Enzo Amore do his weird little chicken dance around mm-hmm. Mason Ryan. And then, you know, the natural corollary of that is, of course not. He couldn't possibly be as stupid as he looks. No human <laughs> on earth could. All right, Miles, what did your Vulcan ears hear? It's almost always, I feel like, a Regal quote when he's on commentary. Naturally. This podcast is basically turning into the William Regal Appreciation Podcast, but you know (laughs) what? I'm fine with that. After Sylvester LaFort was done introducing Dawson, 
Uh, Philip says something like, a little bit hard to understand Sylvester LaFour through his accent, but, you know, we got it. And then Regal is like, do you have a problem with someone with accents? Uh, <laughs> and he also called uh, Tom Phillips flower, and I love when he does that. Uh, He's like, did you have a problem with someone with accents, flower? Uh, and I'm like, oh, fuck. Tom, back up. Tom, save your own life, Tom. <laughs> Don't do it. <laughs> Oh, that's really good. I didn't notice that he called him Flower, but now I'm obsessed. I have been called Flower by somebody British once, and having somebody call you Flower is just life-defining. This is my new dream. This is my $10,000 Patreon goals just to get William Regal to call me Flower. Speaking of things that would make you happy, Bob, what did your human heart feel? I felt pure wonder and awe at how Kruger was playing his role during the Cesaro and Dallas match. He was really good. It was the last thing I expected for him to be just about simpering ringside while playing with his hair absentmindedly. It was a wild character choice and one I could have never predicted, despite the fact that it is absolutely the kind of thing I would write if they were my characters. (laughs) But because they're not my characters, I just was like, what? Did I write this? What happened? (laughs) Is this a fever dream? But no, he's actually there, you know, braiding the tips of his hair and just looking with doe eyes. Miles, what did your human heart feel? Maga Cesaro makes me so sad. Like, I have to, revisiting these NXT episodes, I just have to ignore it and appreciate what he's doing in the ring. It's hard to watch right now. Oh, yeah, it is. And I hate that because I love watching Cesaro matches. Yeah, it was pretty painful. And like, and at the time, it wasn't even close to being as big of a deal. You know, like in 2013, we were like, oh, the real Americans, like if they were portrayed as good guys, like that would be problematic. But you know what? Honestly, this is fine. They're villains. They're both good wrestlers. Like, it's okay for the crowd to be kind of into them. And, you know, all of us on the Internet at the time were like kind of into the real Americans because they were really good. And and now it's like I can't. It's so hard for me to get past the gimmick. I think there's something really interesting as well about gimmicks and the way that they age. I think there's probably a lot of them that don't look good 10 years on, but it seems shocking to have one that has aged this badly after only six years. It's like, wow, that was a bold and dangerous choice that they made. And it, oh, he's not still doing this bit, is he? No, no, no. God, no. The real Americans have are long dead. All right. With that in mind, I think I can persevere as best I can like it's gonna be a rough road but (laughs) I think it was a bit of a rough road Bob for your fanfic for this episode it was we gave you two weeks to do it Uh, we are going to go into this episode's wrestling term of the week but first last episode the wrestling term of the week was over and we also folded in pop and heat into that conversation and I dumped a lot of shit on you all at the same time, which is why you had two weeks to take care of it. So, Bob, let's hear it. The monarch groaned as the crowd chanted his name. Scott Pilgrim was curled into a ball at the center of the ring, muttering to himself, Oh, God, they don't like me. I'm the baby face. They have to like me. They're supposed to like me. I'm the sex babum. What am I doing wrong? <laughs> everything. You are doing everything wrong. I swear, if I can put you over with them, it will be the biggest achievement of my illustrious career, and you and management will owe me for the rest of your miserable lives. Put me over? 
Isn't it too late to make the crowd want me to win? They're already cheering for you. Scott sniffed pathetically. The monarch rolled his eyes. Get up and stop sniveling this minute. Now stomp on my instep and elbow me in the face. When I'm on my back, lock your legs around <laughs> my head and yell something in my face. Make it good. I'll try to resist, slam my head on the mat, and then pin me immediately. But what if that's not enough? Scott's eyes wobbled with unshed tears. The monarch <laughs> bristled. I am a master and you are the barest nothing of a wrestler. How dare you question my skill? Scott panicked and stomped on the monarch's instep. Keep going, the monarch gritted. Scott got him down on the mat and screamed. You lack the necessary talent to beat me before <laughs> slamming the monarch's head down and pinning him. The crowd gasped and a weak cheer went up for Scott's victory. <laughs> they don't hate me because I'm very good at my job, the monarch scoffed. Now get up before I make them despise your very name. Scott scrambled out of the way. Yes, sir. Of course, Mr. Monarch. The monarch grabbed his tattered wings and stalked out of the ring. And then the narrator said, Sex Bavam was let go at the end of that taping because everyone, including the writer of the fic, thought he was a dum-dum <laughs> and didn't want to see him ever again. Even though <laughs> the monarch did his best to put him over, you just can't make some people likable. And look, I'm really oh. sorry if you like Scott Pilgrim. He drives me up the wall. You are free to imagine that he goes on to have an illustrious career and gets his act together and becomes very famous. But as far as the storyline goes, I have fired him, I'm afraid. I'm just going to go on the record and say, uh, fuck Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> <laughs> Miles is far less willing to mince words. Whereas I'm like, yeah, you like know, I've... if you like him, I can't stop you and that's okay. You know, I like Snape, even though I hate Snape. So I get it. There's a I bunch mean, of asshole characters. It's a decent story. But as far as Scott Pilgrim himself, yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, also fuck Snape, but also it's Alan Rickman. So yeah. But thank you to Krista CS and Sandwich Surplus on Twitter for those character suggestions. And if you would like to suggest characters for upcoming Flash fanfics, please do. You can send them yeah. to me at Megan Bobness or through Gmail, Twitter, or Facebook at NXT Wrestling Fan. All right. So, Bob, we've done a lot of kind of abstract concepts for wrestling term of the week in the past. Yes. But our very first one was the Irish whip, which is a move. And I want to get back into at least some basics of what you're actually seeing in the ring. So the wrestling term of the week is suplex. Suplex is a family of wrestling moves. They can be very different, but they all basically involve the same thing. And that is lifting your opponent using your hips and slamming them onto their back. Okay. No matter what else happens during a suplex, you're lifting them through the air by like popping or doing something with your hips and they are hitting the mat with their back. The principle is probably best demonstrated via the vertical suplex, which is one kind of suplex. And it's very basic. Basically, you and your opponent are facing each other, standing up. Um, you have them, you get them in like a basic headlock, right? So you're facing each other, standing up, but their head is under your arm. Okay. Then, using your hips and your other arm, you lift them over your head so that they are upside down above you. Oh, and wow. then you fall backwards so their back hits the mat. 
Okay. That's a vertical suplex. There will be visual aids for this uh, on the website on uh, NXTWrestlingFan.com by the time you hear this episode. And Bob, if you want to look any or all of these up online, I will not begrudge you that, of course. Another common type of suplex is the German suplex. With this one, your opponent has their back to you while you're both standing. You grab them around their waist from behind with both arms, pop your hips backward, and fall backward, lifting them over yourself so their back and shoulders hit the mat. We talked about Alicia Fox, uh, the Northern Light Suplex that I loved so much watching her do. And then, of course, Bo Dallas's finishing move, which he used in the main event of this episode to defeat Cesaro, is a belly-to-belly suplex. And what that means is that facing your opponent, you grab them around the waist with both arms so that your bellies are touching. That's why it's belly-to-belly. You lift them up with your hips, and then you power them down onto their back. There's a million different kinds of suplex. We don't need to go into all of them, but I think we just should start learning at least the basic families of moves. The suplex is one of the most basic, kind of the most awesome in a lot of ways, just because of how many variations on it there are. Ah. Um, It's distinct from something like, for example, the body slam. So a body slam is when you're standing face to face with your opponent and you literally just like you grab them, pick them up and slam them down. Like, that's all you do with a body slam. It's using your arms. Usually one hand is, like, near their crotch, and the other one is, like, on their shoulder. Oh, you yeah. lift them into the air and slam them down on their back. That's not a suplex. A suplex is a more technical-looking move because it involves precision with the hip motion. And it also, especially in modern wrestling, suplexes are impact points in a match, right? So, like, when you get hit with a suplex, it's not like a finishing move or even, like, a signature move, unless, you know, your finishing move or signature move is a suplex. Mm -hmm. but it is a more intense, more damaging move than sort of your standard hold or, or something like that. When you see somebody hit with a suplex, it's not a huge deal, but it's not nothing. A suplex is supposed to hurt. Okay. That's sort of helping to make sense of some of the architecture of some of the matches. Well, that was your wrestling term of the week. And uh, before we end the episode, let's jump into the cheap pop quiz. All right, Bob, you have eight points. Let's see if you can pick up the two points necessary to force me to read a romance novel or fanfic on this episode. You're in range. I resent the use of the word force. Invite. (laughs) Allow. Thank you. (laughs) That's a good point. Okay. Question number one, Bob. What is a handicap match? Is it A, a match where one or more wrestlers have one or more arms tied behind their back? B, a match where one or more wrestlers have their legs tied together. C, a match where two wrestlers are tied together with a length of rope or chain attached to their wrists. Or D, a match where one wrestler takes on a team of two wrestlers, or two take on three, three take on four, etc. Any match in which one side is outnumbered. They all sound plausible. I know the people listening can't see my face and like, the utter bafflement that's happening right now. (laughs) I feel like I have to go with D. Okay. D is your answer. Question two. Next week, you will be meeting the legendary Ric Flair. (gasps) What? Oh, yeah. One of the single greatest professional wrestlers, if not the single greatest of all time. Why is he here in NXT? Is it A? He urgently needs to talk about something with his old friend, NXT general manager Dusty Rhodes. Is it B, he's here to provide moral support for his daughter, who is about to have her first match in NXT? 
Is it C, he's hunting one of his old enemies, a sinister villain who has violated all of Flair's fashion rules and must now answer to the fashion policeman himself, Ric Flair. (laughs) And he believes the rogue is hiding in NXT. Or is it D, he's decided that, quote, to be the man, you have to beat the man and is challenging NXT champion Bo Dallas to a wrestling match. Oh, shit. I want it to be the fashion police. <laughs> I don't care if that's not the right answer. I am willing to sacrifice this because I am a la the secret. I am putting this out into the universe. Don't fucking <laughs> let me down the secret. I want Ric Flair fashion police. Okay. Well, let's move on to question three. Your third and final question for this episode. Next week, you will hear a backstage promo from William Regal. <laughs> Does he? A. Hit on Renee Young, but classy, like a gentleman. Oh. B. Call Adrian Neville a Jordy because he comes from Newcastle and make fun of his accent. C. Tell a story about how, when he was born, the doctor slapped him on the butt, and then baby William Regal broke the doctor's fingers and gave him a headbutt. (laughs) Or D. All of the above. I'm choosing D. I feel like it has to be D. How could he leave anything on the table? (laughs) He doesn't get to do this that often. He had better eat this up and do every insane batshit thing he plans on doing. Okay. If that's well, not what happens, see. I will be shocked. You will probably receive a text from me going, what? <laughs> All right. Well, we will see what happens when we get the answers to those questions on the next episode of The Next Wrestling Fan. And also on the next episode, of course, come back next time for Bob's Flash Fanfic explaining the suplex. Oh, guys, it's going to be sexy. Like 90% of sure it's going to be pretty sexy. All right, Bob. Well, I think that's all we got. Uh, Thank you so much for joining me once again for this insanity that we've been putting ourselves through. No, it's lovely. Thank you. Just a reminder, uh, we are in the middle of the very first ever Next Wrestling Fan Review Drive, which means that starting with our last episode and going up through our ninth episode, which is being released on November 30th, if you leave us a review, your name goes in the drawing for something that we will talk about in a special bonus episode of your choice so we've already gotten several and we can't thank you enough like it's already been a pretty awesome outpouring of reviews so far for the very first couple of weeks so thank you for everyone who's reviewed us we don't have time to read all of your reviews as we would love to but bob and i have each chosen one to shout out and I think Bob is also going to just give everybody a, a quick shout out uh, for just taking the time. So thank you. Yes, I just wanted to run down the names really quick just to make sure. So that way, if you did leave us a review and it's not showing up in this list of names that you have a chance to go, hey, wait a second. So Hobbs West, Bossy Faye Babe, Tigranosaurus, David Keough, Jake 80 and Dan Mulcairn. So those are the folks who have left us reviews so far. Earlier, we also had Ryan Reisman, Adam Mayo, and Rata Seti, who will also be going into the drawing because you left us reviews early. You shouldn't be punished for leaving us reviews no! before we started the review drive. No, that would be insane. We're not going to do that. So yes, that will put your name into the drawing for a handcrafted artisanal bonus episode That's right. of your choosing. So, Bob, do you want to choose uh, one of these reviews that has come in and uh, we can read it on the show? Yes, I'm going to read the one from Hobbs West. The title is Feel the Love, which is lovely. 
The review goes, love pours off this podcast. The two hosts have a wonderful chemistry together and do a wonderful job staying focused and engaged while clearly enjoying themselves a great deal. Miles has so much knowledge about and love for wrestling, particularly NXT, and it's hard not to share his enthusiasm. Megan Bob loves drama, powerful emotions, and romantic fiction. And what NXT doesn't provide, she is more than willing to create on her own. With her wonderfully written stories, both hosts are so eloquent in expressing themselves, it's easy to let yourself get carried away by their words. This podcast is not to be listened to during other tasks. Go for a walk, sit on a porch, drink a warm beverage, and enjoy the show. Aww. Thanks, Hobbs West. Yeah, it feels like such a recommendation for fall listening. You know, put yeah. on a big sweater. Yeah, and then like put on an episode. Podcast. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> put on an episode of wrestling from six years ago, and let just let the snow blow by your window. Yeah, may have some apple cider. <laughs> all right. these things. Mull some wine. Ugh. Oh, I have to mull wine this winter. Remind me. Okay, all right. I'll put that on my to do list of like remind. I'll put it in my remind. phone. In in three weeks, remind Miles, mull wine. (laughs) All right. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read a review from David Kehoe. David Kehoe titles his review, Your NXT Favorite Podcast. And it goes as follows. I get it. There's a lot of wrestling podcasts out there. So why this one? Because you've got taste. That's why. A lot of wrestling podcasts are basically just excuses for the hosts to talk to each other about wrestling, which is totally understandable. We all love talking about wrestling, right? But this show combines two hosts with great chemistry with a format that values the time you're putting into it. It's a show that lets you know what it's all about and then delivers on that in the best way it can. Thank you so much, David. Really appreciate that review. And thank you to everybody who left a review. It's lovely. We really appreciate them. And we are hopeful that they are going to draw, lure, lure more listeners towards us. Really appreciate you guys helping us grow and helping us succeed and just being along with us for the ride. It's so much more fun when you know there's there's people who are uh, who are coming along with you. So yeah. uh, thank you all so much for listening. Thank you all so much for reviewing. At the end of November, we will be um, announcing the winner of the drawing. So make sure if you haven't already reviewed, get your reviews in before the end of November. And then once we announce it, we will uh, we will find out what Bob and I are going to be covering. Indeed. It's really exciting. Thank you all again so much. And uh, we will be back in two weeks with a new episode. Bye. The Next Wrestling Fan is produced by Miles Schneiderman with logo design by Claire Mulcairn. Special thanks to Rafael Medina for our theme song, Learn Buckle. You can follow his creative work on Twitter at EarthMofo. Also thanks to Kevin McLeod for additional music and stingers, which are licensed under Creative Commons. Find his work at www.incompetech.com. We're on Twitter and Facebook as the NXT Wrestling Fan. Come talk to us. You can also follow Miles on Twitter at MJ Schneiderman and Megan Bob at Megan Bobness. Visit our website at nxtwrestlingfan.com for show notes, episode transcripts, and more. And if you enjoy the show, please subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, feel free to email us at nxtwrestlingfan at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in two weeks. You get to decide, do you want Miles and Megan Bob to talk about Downton Abbey? Would you like us to talk about an episode of, I don't know, I don't watch a lot of TV. I'm trying.
trying to think of other shows that want, exist. Well, okay. Do you want Miles and Megan Bob to talk about... Uh, 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 what's, what's the thing? I don't know. Whatever's a thing right now. <laughs> this tells you how very on the, <laughs> the cutting edge of media consumption Miles and I are. 